promised second of two episodes I recorded with Katie and Gretchen of the Freely Given podcast, one of the many podcasts in the 1517 network. We talk some more about the transfiguration and specifically what it means for us, as in do we get transfigured too? And if not, what does it have to do with us? If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to Freely Given. And of course, I'm telling you for the last time, pop on over to Kickstarter to back my book, Seven Ways of Looking at the Transfiguration. The link in the show notes will take you there. So we'll Googling Kickstarter Transfiguration Sarah Henlicky Wilson. Transfiguration Sunday falls on February 11th in 2024, and the Kickstarter ends on January 31st, 2024, so time is running out. All right, already, enough anxiety-inducing announcements. On with the show. Hey there, welcome to the Freely Given Podcast. Our purpose is to increase faith and freedom rather than guilt and slavery. And we're back again talking about the Transfiguration Gretchen and I didn't have to wait a week, but you guys did. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Okay. So anyways, um, we ended the last episode talking about the idea of Peter suggesting that they just camp out here now would not be. A- we also talked about in that last episode, Moses and Elijah and why they were at the transfiguration. So now we're going to get into that voice from heaven which we haven't heard since jesus baptism so that's right that's yeah. right so what why um why is that significant like why why would god the father speak now of all times is, is it is it to encourage right before the feast of the passover is it to um to strengthen the disciples is it to strengthen Jesus is like I, what what's with that yeah so there's of course because this is the bible there are lots of interconnections happening all over the place and and this is again why it's great for us to keep going back to our bibles and like making more connections than can possibly happen in a sermon or even a bible study because you start seeing all this amazing intricate web going on um i was talking to another uh, a podcasting friend recently who said if we had a gold letter bible meaning when god the father speaks then the only times we would have gold in the Mar- matthew mark and luke are at the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus. And then there's one time only in John, which we can get back to if you're if you're interested in that. Well, but anyway, the first time I think oh, you go- market that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So well at the baptism of Jesus, you know, it's it's at the beginning of his ministry. So even if we have like birth stories like we have in in Matthew and Luke, when Jesus starts doing the God stuff in a, a public way in order to proclaim the kingdom and call people to repentance, that starts with him being baptized. And that is when, you know, it's both the father speaking from heaven and the dove descending upon him. And um, interestingly, and in, in I think uh, Mark and Luke, it's uh, you are my beloved son. So it's actually the father speaking directly to the son. And so we see that relationship between the two of them. And, you know, for me, this, this is maybe um, arguing a side point, but like so often, especially in um, evangelical Protestant approaches to the atonement. There's this idea like the father and the son are having some sort of arguments and like the son goes and gets himself killed to like force the father's hand to be merciful or like the father is super angry until Jesus says, no, no, let me take all the blame. Like there's some sort of inner conflict between father and son. It's and um, strange yeah. on a Trinitarian level to think that they would have a, a separate will. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, there's there's so many Trinitarian problems with that. But mm -hmm. one thing I really like and you see in the baptism is when the father says directly to the son, you are my beloved son. You know, this is, in a sense, this is between them and we are listening in on it. And even Matthew, who I think says, this is my beloved son, it's still sort of told as if we're watching something else happening between Jesus and his father and their spirit at the same time. So the only other time that happens in the gospels um, is at the transfiguration. And this, but there both um, Mark and Luke change it. So it's, this is my beloved son. So it's the father actually addressing Peter, James, and John. And interestingly, that's when they all freak out. <laughs> like they're, they're pretty happy about Moses and Elijah and Jesus clothing being changed, but it's when the voice comes from heaven, that's when they completely lose it and fall on their faces and, you know, or just like laid out flat, flat on the ground. So, um, uh, we, I mean, Jesus didn't call them to be disciples until after his baptism. So presumably, you know, John the Baptist at least was a witness, but they weren't. This is So this may be the first time they have heard the father's voice. And at this point, you know, they've come to believe in Jesus. They say, you're the son of God, you're the Christ. But actually hearing God confirm it is pretty overwhelming, <laughs> I think it is safe to say. And he's doing it from the cloud, which is the prime um, Old Testament image of God's presence. That is how God appears uh, carrying, uh, uh, alternating with the pillar of fire, but the pillar of cloud by day, taking them through the wilderness. And then the cloud is what settles on top of Mount Sinai and is where God gives the law to Moses. And then when the tabernacle is built as like this traveling access point to God's presence, um, we, we have here about the cloud would settle on top of the tabernacle. And in fact, God's presence as a cloud is so tremendous that Moses can't even go inside the tabernacle. It kind of like is God, God's cloudy presence is, is intense and dense. And, you know, you, you can't like shove your way in there when, when God is there. And that's interesting also because the New Testament translates the word booth that Peter's offered to build. It uses the same Greek word to translate the word for tabernacle. So probably there's also another play on words going there is, is like, is like, oh, cloud, right. You know, let's, let's, let's have a place for, for God to settle down when in fact, you know, Jesus is the place for, for God to settle down. Okay. God, the father. Jesus is the tabernacle. Yeah. 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 And that 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 brings us over to the Gospel of John, who, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek there is also tabernacled. So Jesus yeah. mm -hmm. is the tabernacling presence of God. So I mentioned that maybe there's a transfiguration or there's a one time that God the Father speaks in the Gospel of John. So oh, John yeah. does not have a clear transfiguration story. But in chapter 12, he does have a moment where a voice speaks from heaven directly to Jesus. And a lot of the same themes of glory and going to death and you are my son, my beloved, um, the, the same kind of um, uh, images and words overlap a little bit there. So I think that probably this is John's version. He doesn't, the one thing he doesn't do is have Jesus clothing altered and they're not like often private on the mountain, but in terms of like the, the themes and and the father's address to the son. I think there's a lot of connection going on there. But, you know, John always does things differently from the other three. He's, he's yeah. the one of these kids is not like the other of the gospels. Yeah. Yeah. He does that a lot. He doesn't always go sequentially the same way. Is that what it is? There's several things. Anyway. Um, there's the, 
Sorry, what chapter did you say that was in? Because I wanted to. Uh, in John chapter twelve, okay. so it's right after the Greeks come. It's very interesting because Jesus says, um, "The well, some of the disciples say, hey, there are some Greeks looking to talk to you.'" And this is the first time in John's gospel that Jesus meets up with Gentiles, and that's where Jesus says, uh, "My hour has finally come." And you'll remember back in the wedding at Cana. Um, Jesus says, woman, you know, very rude to his mother. Uh, mm -hmm. My hour has not yet come. And she's like, you know, just, just do whatever he says. He'll change the water into wine. And he does. But it's the moment that Jesus is sought out by Gentiles in John's gospel. That's when he says, my hour has come. And then he says, my soul is troubled, but shall... It's also sort of like John's version of the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't have that scene like yeah, Mark and Luke do. Yep. So it's kind of like Garden of Gethsemane plus Transfiguration packaged here right after meeting Gentiles for the first time. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think yeah. I've... John's constantly... My perception of John is that he, yeah, captures something different. Mm. Or maybe not... Di it's not something different. It's in a different... It's presented in a different way. Well, his purposes were different yeah. than other Just gospel like the writers. The like gospels. his purposes were very theological, mm. I think. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. So he's either working from a different like a community's memory of Jesus. And so the way yeah. they tell, you know, they have their own, you know, you know, like, you you know, the same person, like if you get together with your cousins and talk about your grandmother, it's clearly the same grandmother. And yet you have your own distinct memories of her. So I think there's something like that going on, as well as John having a different purpose and how he wants to tell and unfold the story of the gospel. Um. All right. So what does this have to do with the crucifixion or the resurrection? This this transfiguration on, I don't know, in maybe a timeline sense or maybe even other things. Theologically. Theologically. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, one of the things about the transfiguration is it's just so weird. <laughs> like, even if you're like cool with like a dead guy coming back to life three days later and being exalted to heaven. <laughs> I mean, there's something one of those times, but now we've got three guys, right? Like <laughs> two that have been out for a long time. And this one talking about how he's going to die and rise. That's just a lot. Yeah, so, that's a lot to handle. And and like almost, in Mark, it's almost the like dead center of the gospel. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Gretchen. Oh, it's kind of like this, this ghost reveal thing. Like it's, it can be kind of, there's, there's dead people up there. Yeah. We'll talk about death. And, no. yeah. But God is the God of the living, not the dead. So clearly Moses uh, and Elijah are alive and God. They're alive. They're not, they, they not ghosts. They're not dead people. Right. This is well, not the sixth so that's, sense. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good clarification because, you know, I, I think when people are trying to interpret this and trying to figure out what is happening here, um, that God is the God of the living. Mm -hmm. Like that's to interpret through that lens is, is awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure it was also reassuring right after hearing that the Christ has to die. And yet seeing Moses and Elijah, these strange exits from Israel's history, like, okay, oh. well, they're somehow still alive in God. And like the, the disciples don't react to them like they're ghosts, right? It's just okay. Moses and yeah. Elijah who are there, right? So I think what's really fascinating. So, okay. So in Mark, transfiguration is the dead center of the gospel. It's the halfway point, And this is like the turning point towards, you know, headed toward 
towards death. But what's really interesting to me, and it, it took me a while to get this, partly because I think um, art and hymns tend to confuse us, but the transfigured Jesus and the risen Jesus are described really differently. So you've probably seen paintings of the risen Jesus, and he's got like the swirling white robe, and like his hair is kind of flying back, and there's lights, and you know, the, the soldiers are kind of like splayed out at his feet or whatever. And it's, it's probably like, it's kind of drawing on some transfiguration imagery, but actually in the stories of the resurrection, Jesus is not luminous. He's not dazzling. He doesn't have cool white clothes. And in fact, what's really interesting is that all the gospels put the, the fancy white clothes and the more like supernatural appearance on the young men or the angels who announced that Jesus has been raised. So it's almost like I think what they're trying to do is really say whatever's happening in the resurrection is not like what's happening in the transfiguration. But, you know, and and actually, <laughs> I have to say, because I was working on this on Christmas Eve when I sang Silent Night, there's the, the, the verse that goes, um, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. And instead of like feeling joy over the newborn Jesus, I was like, he doesn't have radiant beams when he's born. It's only at the transfiguration that he has radiant beams streaming from his face. <laughs> This is the problem when you study theology. You're just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it can mess things up for you. And like, come on, silent night, really, Sarah, get over yourself. So, but <laughs> anyway, so I think probably what's going on here is that, and I, again, like all we have is is the text. So we're, we're making inferences here, but it looks to me like what's going on is that the transfiguration is actually a foretaste of the feast to come, but not just the risen Jesus, but the exalted glorified Jesus who is truly Lord of all. So if you think of like Philippians 2 saying when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, Paul is writing that when it hasn't happened yet. Jesus is definitely risen. He is definitely ascended into heaven, but not everyone acknowledges him. He is not clearly and unambiguously the Lord of all. So, and there's no way really to show that until the end of time when that's an, an when that's actually the case. So it's the transfiguration, I think, is God's offering us a glimpse of where the end will be. And in that sense, again, we can give Peter some credit. Like he correctly said, oh, this is what the end is going to be like. We're at Sukkot. We're at the final harvest. And instead of understand what his mistake was to think it was now instead of a foretaste of what was coming. But that's why the, the transfigured Jesus and the risen Jesus are kind of doing two different things. The risen Jesus is the beginning of the of the transformation that will be complete at the end times, but it isn't actually the end times. And you probably know that a lot of the New Testament is kind of sorting out the fact like, we thought Jesus was coming back soon or already, and he hasn't come back yet. So clearly there's going to be more time between his resurrection and the consummation of all things. And interestingly, the only place outside of Matthew, Mark, and Luke where the transfiguration is unambiguously referred to is in Second Peter, everybody's favorite little epistle of the New Testament. I'm just kidding. Nobody likes <laughs> Second Peter. <laughs> but Second Peter is very preoccupied with why Jesus hasn't come back yet. And you may have heard, you, you may remember the line, you should count the Lord's return, a delayed return as patience, giving you time to repent. That mm -hmm. is 
that is the letter where that talks about the transfiguration. So again, it's saying, look, we know that Jesus is going to be the, the eschatological Lord of all, as we saw in the transfiguration, but there is going to be a delay till his return in order to gather more in, to give you time to repent. God's time is not our time. A thousand, a thousand years are but a, a moment in his sight. Th those are the themes of second Peter. So actually that fits really well with this understanding of the transfigured Jesus pointing towards the end times rather than towards the resurrection. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm always profound. Like it just, it, it shocks me that when you describe it, the, the transfiguration was just a kindness to show the, the disciples. Um, I don't know. A lot of times when Jesus does a lot of things, I see a lot of, you know, of course the baptism had to happen. There were theological reasons for the baptism and maybe there's theological reasons that the transfiguration had to happen. But in hearing this, I'm kind of struck by the kindness and the using a teachable moment and really trying to reach out to the disciples towards, I don't know. It's just, it seems kind of one of those all is grace moments. Um, I love it that you you interpret it that way because there's so much emphasis on their fear and misunderstanding. Again, I've so often heard sermons that just kind of diss the disciples, yeah. but actually at the very end of the story, Jesus reaches down and lifts them up. You know, like he isn't, he doesn't rebuke them like he did with Peter when he got, you know, the suffering and dying part wrong, but he actually picks them up and says, okay, let's go. Don't talk about this until after the resurrection. You don't understand it yet, but it's okay. I find that it's um, okay. I've got you. I find that <laughs> preachers this. or just readers of the Bible, we tend to rebuke the disciples a lot more than Jesus does. Like I think of like, <laughs> quote unquote, like doubting Thomas of like, oh my goodness, he was horrible for like doubting that Jesus had ridden, risen from the dead. And when Jesus sees him, he's like, so here, you know, put your hand here. And, you know, yeah. I, it's not the same type of. Um, I mean, I'm glad there was a skeptic there, you know, I, um, you know, he's, he's such a, Thomas is such a benefit to us. Like, look, it's not a ghost. I stuck my finger in his side. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah. That wasn't doubt. That was a reasonable question to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just the idea that um, Jesus was discipling his disciples, like it, mm -hmm. you know, he, yeah. he was actively discipling them and showing them who he was. He wasn't um, irritated with their. He questions. wasn't irritated that they had to be discipled. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking as a mom right now, but <laughs> <laughs> we're all moms. We get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now the big question: <laughs> What? So, what does this story mean for us then? Yeah. Yeah, that is the big Everybody one. And I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I mentioned on our last episode, there is a kind of like jump right to, you know, transfiguration now, transfigure yeah. yourself, 40 yeah. days to a transfigured life. Um, I was just looking at some books on Amazon and th there are some better and some worse, but there is definitely like this desire to co-opt the transfiguration as either our spiritual program or maybe the ones who are a little better, like it's our spiritual destiny or something. But for me, again, this, this goes back to why is the transfiguration 
transfigured Jesus and the risen Jesus? Why are they, why do they look so different and are talked about so differently? And I think it's because Jesus does actually promise the resurrection to us. Like the good news is that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, but only the first. There will be many more who are brought back from the dead, who are raised to new life. And, you know, of course, the Apostle Paul talks about this quite a lot. Um, and it's, it's very important to our own hope that resurrection is a gift that will be offered to us also. So in that respect, resurrection is something that Jesus shares with us. But then if you say the resurrection and the transfiguration are about two different things, then I think what the transfiguration reminds us is that there are some things that are about Jesus alone, and they are not for us to receive or co-opt because he really is the Lord of all, and he is the son of God. We may be children of God, but we are adopted children of God, and we are creatures. Jesus is the natural born, eternal son of God, and the transfiguration shows us this. Transfiguration actually, I don't think is it's right to argue that it's shared with us, or at least what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Second Peter are talking about, that is not something that is given to us. So I would say the transfigured Jesus is definitely for us, but the transfiguration is not about us. Yeah, and it's, I think it's it's good to have both things. There is stuff that is for us that yeah. is not about us. Yeah. It's a problem if we only see Jesus as an example instead of a savior, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. how often do you hear that <laughs> well, this is how you transform your life. Just be like Jesus. Uh, well, I'm not God. <laughs> yeah. So, but also the gifts of grace are not equalizing us with God. Like to exactly. receive God's grace is not to like, like, you know, I said to, to be, to be so far advanced that you don't need to receive from God anymore. I think there's yeah. a kind of spirituality that thinks, you know, progress or like ultimate sanctification is to be so godly. You don't need God. And the transfigured Jesus reminds us that he only is Lord, which means we are always going to be worshiping and obeying the Lord Jesus, not on an equal playing field. Cause Hey, I'm risen from the dead too, Jesus. So, you know, like, and I'm not going to die anymore. Just like, you're not going to die anymore. Like, no, <laughs> he is still the Lord of all. Yeah. Gretchen and I talk about that a lot. The, the older we get, the more we realize our deeper dependence on God. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Just in daily life and with our death and <laughs> resurrection that um, we, it's always been there for us, right? Like mm -hmm. God has done it. Um, the older I get, the more I recognize it. And mm -hmm. I say that, but I won't ever recognize it fully, right? But our dependence on him is ever increasing. Yeah, I... For our recognition of that dependence. So this is probably on the front of my mind because I'm I've been working on trying to find the words for this. Um and as as far as I've gotten is I think that we get being like God and being godly confused. And we think mm. that we just become more like God and do everything like God. Yeah. Then that's how we are going to be godly. But to be godly is to wear the righteousness of Christ. And and that that is um that's different. <laughs> And, and that's more of a receiving and a beholding um, of his righteousness than it is um, our doing. Our doing, because our doing ends up us trying to be like God and, and get close there, which which harkens back to Eden a little bit. So a little, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. This was great. I learned a lot. And I usually don't re-listen to our episodes, but I'll probably re-listen to these ones. Yeah. 
So it's fascinating. I hate listening to my own voice, but luckily, <laughs> luckily Sarah spoke most of it, so then I won't have to endure that. There you go. There you go. Well, if I could just say, while well, this these podcasts drop, I, you know, I'm I'm doing this book seven ways of looking at the transfiguration. But I'm starting it as a Kickstarter. So if listeners have been intrigued and enthralled by this new view of the transfiguration, you just just Google Kickstarter Sarah Henley Wilson transfiguration, you'll find it. You can, link. can put a link in the show notes or something. Yeah, and you should go buy all of her other books too. I also bought your one. Um, the, like, wait, you have other books? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't do my research. <laughs> well, a, tumble, a tumbling down that we talked about. And I, um, you're one on the, um, you wrote parables, right? What is the title? Oh, Pearly Gates. Pearly Gates. Parables from the Final Thresholds. Love that one. Like, I got so excited when I read the one about the old woman who they were convinced that her baptism didn't take. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I was trying to explain it to my husband. He's like, settle down. I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Thanks. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you like that one. That's actually it. That's my bestseller. And oh, I've heard a lot of people say like how much it's meant to them. They've read it devotionally. I've heard of church yeah. groups reading it together. But basically the idea is it's 30 people or groups of people approaching the pearly gates of heaven and what they encounter there. And there are a variety of things that there's, they encounter and things they bring as yeah. well. Yes. They're so digestible and so deep and rich and um, applicable, right? Like we've seen people, we are these people that you talk about and yeah, it's so good. And then the other one that I haven't read yet, but I bought to read with my daughter is, I think it's called, I am a bridge. And you talk, Oh, about I'm a brave bridge. Yeah. Brave that's bridge. my memoir of Slovakia. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. So that one I wanted to read with my, um, teen preteen daughter so okay well i can just assure you i am a brave bridge is a lot of cross-cultural and teenage romantic comedy oh. and ridiculousness <laughs> there is no tragedy like in a tumbling down so if anyone wants to like ease in with a little less trauma to my writing <laughs> yep. i am a brave bridge or pearly gates are both good starts yeah <laughs> we'll keep so. writing sarah your cool. words are a gift and i hope your your family's travel back to japan go well Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun to talk to the two of you. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. So it's a thrill to be on. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We are a podcast of 1517. 1517 exists to declare and defend the good news that we are forgiven and free on account of Christ alone. In Christ, you are forgiven. Live free as you grow in the grace and knowledge of his love.